Welcome to More Than Special with Jermaine Suford. Our program is of interest to parents, family members, and caregivers of children and adults with special needs. Whether it's an acquired delay or one from birth, we'll speak with experts to bring you answers, information, and compassion. Now, here's your host, Jermaine Suford. Hey, everyone. It's Jermaine. I'm here today um, with Lauren Burgess, and we are going to talk about employment on the spectrum. She is the founder of Garden and Dirt, and I'm going to have her explain what that means. Lauren, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so Garden is a community-based program, and we provide behavioral-type services for children, adolescents, and adults on the spectrum. So after-school programs, summer camps, day programs, we teach real-world skills in real-world settings. And then DIRT is our nonprofit coffee shop with a mission to employ, empower, and positively impact individuals on the spectrum. That's awesome. So, so you're already employing people. How long has DIRT been around? Since 2007, we started off as a mobile coffee truck. And then two years ago, we opened our first brick and mortar. That's awesome. That's awesome. I know I've, I've seen you around town. I've been to your place. We've seen you like at um, uh, autism walks and things. We always, you know, see the mobile truck. Um, so you have a great you know, face out in the community. That's awesome. Why did you start DIRT? What what does it do to help the community? Sure. So I, DIRT, the idea of DIRT was stemmed actually from my work at Garden. I was doing one-on-one job coaching and employment services for adults either coming out of high school transitions programs or college and deciding what their next step was. And one of my clients in particular, Robbie, who um, we share, him and I share his story all the time. He was the one that was, we were really struggling to find him employment and a good fit. And, you know, together we went on a dozen interviews mm. he was offered maybe two jobs, none of which made any sense for him or jobs that he even applied for. And so I had always had a passion for coffee and coffee is such a great tool to connect to the community. Um, it's the second most traded commodity in the world. So there, there's a business sense for it, but I figured if nobody is hiring these amazing humans, then Let's figure out how to do it ourselves. Fast forward to today, um, you know, that was over a decade ago. And Robbie's a manager of our store and has been competitively employed ever since. Wow, that's really cool. <laughs> do you, um, in those interviews that you went on with him, w- was it like a bad fit for him because of the employer? Was there like little wiggle room in the flexibility of the employer where do you see that that could have been improved if you could go back and replay it some different way that's a really good question um you know if memory serves me right the jobs that he did was offered were you know we can bring you on for a couple hours a week doing Mm. 
packaging or something like that, where he was looking for anywhere from a traditional part-time to a full-time job. Right. And so the, the sense that I was getting is the employer wanted to do right by somebody who was on the spectrum, but they were making it more of a charity case than seeing him as an asset to their company. Right. Yeah. And so when you say he's currently competitively employed, you're using that word intentionally, um, that he is getting paid what somebody in the same position would be getting paid and it wouldn't be there for charity on your part. Exactly. Right. Right. And so for a lot of your employees um, that are on the spectrum, how do you at DIRT uh, accommodate what those needs are that they come with? And are they um, like, did they receive some pre-training to work for you? Or is this, they start and, and maybe they've never had a job before? Sure. So we kind of have two avenues in the way that we employ people and live out our mission at DIRT. One is 30% of our long-term staff is on the spectrum, and that application process is the same across the board, whether you have autism or you don't. And um, through our learnings, we have made that as inclusive as possible. Um, the, and so those are people who are interviewing who specifically have experience in coffee and want to work in coffee long-term. Um, the other side is our internship program, which is paid, and that's specifically for people with autism or related disabilities who have little to no experience. And so that looks a little bit differently than the other side. Um, people coming on as an intern get paired one-on-one with a job coach, and they receive really intentional training and starting from the basics on you know, how to show up on time, what what does it look like to um, dress for a job versus dressed for um, school. All of our team is trained and, and kind of how we've structured our entire culture is that um, we support one another. And so um, we're all trained in the basics of applied behavior analysis. So we understand how to prompt someone, how to step in respectfully to support somebody to get to the ultimate goal, which is all a shared goal of delivering amazing coffee and awesome customer service, and then hopefully educating a few of our customers along the way. Yeah, yeah, those are all very transferable things that that you're teaching your staff, um, who are the, what's the title that you use? Coaches, the mentorees? Yeah. So every, we do have one job coach who manages our internship program, but she, um, her goal is to fade herself out by the second month of their program. And then, um, the individual is working directly with the rest of our team and, both the intern and our employees are learning how to support one another through those strategic communication and support styles provided through something like ABA. Yeah. Yeah. So some of these folks who are coming to you um, may have been in special education prior and have either graduated or um, whatever their story is. 
I know that in in special education, there's there's like that transition period from, you know, they're supposed to start talking at like 14 or something about what are you going to be when you grow up? And there's all these assessments that that people can do to like figure out what field they want to be in. And then schools can start training or providing experiences or um, those types of resources. But as an employer, when you're actually starting to work with somebody, um, I imagine that they didn't get a lot of the like time management or like showing up to work on time. And what do you wear when you go to work? It's, Probably, I'm just guessing, a lot of people don't get that in the education environment. And so it's a little bit more onto the employer to have to teach those those types of skills in that first two months. Is that similar to what you've seen? Definitely. Um, either, you know, if, if they're lucky enough to find an employer who's who sees that as part of their job and is able to support that individual through those next kind of stages of goal mastery. Um, What we see a lot is the parents end up taking on a lot of that. And um, typically what that looks like is because parents have been the caregivers since day one, they're taking on and doing a lot of that for them. Um, And so when they come to us, we start to look at that and piece that out and say, okay, what's mom and dad doing that maybe it's time for you to start doing? And a lot of times what that looks like are things like setting an alarm and responding to email and downloading the app so you can access your schedule and transportation. Yeah. Yeah. And I could also see like budgeting, like after the first paycheck, what do you do with the first time that you have your own free money, like free meaning accessible? Um, It, like you have this money and then you want to just go buy Cheetos or whatever the, you know, thing is that you've been dreaming about. Um, and, and I'm, I imagine parents a lot of times will be the financial responsibility legally or, or just because they have the experience and how do you then work with somebody outside of work on how to handle having money? Um, so I'm sure parents take that on a lot too. Definitely. Yeah. That as a huge gap, even with our interns and our employees who have been working with us for a while, um, having those conversations about, um, hey, if you want to start earning more money, that means you have to pick up more shifts. And um, the idea of, well, I don't want to work more, but I do want, you know, to go on vacation or go to movies and building those connections and making those connections and understanding and being on the same page with mom and dad that there's not this endless bank account that exists. Yeah. Yeah. And that can start at a really young age. It doesn't have to start after the first paycheck. (laughs) It should start at a really young age. Yeah. Yeah. Some sort of a budgeting and earning process and whatever works for the family, but you know, from token economy to actually earning money for chores or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then with time management, I imagine that is being like, when do you take a break? You didn't eat before you got to work. The, all these different things that we, once you've worked for 20 years, it's just so ne- second nature. It's always, you know, this, this, put gas in your car in advance so that you aren't late. Those very simple things that we just do because we do. Sometimes kids need to be taught very explicitly those time management skills 
from setting an alarm the night before to, yeah, yeah. Planning for delays in transportation or weather and then even, you know, a good one, yeah. When you when you are going to be late, what does that communication and professional communication look like? And not not texting your boss five minutes before, but maybe calling as soon as you know you're going to be late and right. yourself enough time. You know, at Dirt, um, we offer a free shift drink anytime you work, and some of our employees like to have that before. And you know helping them understand that that means they have to come to work 15 minutes before their actual shift starts if they want to enjoy this and um, all those little nuances that you were talking about that play into time management. Yeah. And then another one that um, comes to mind for me is the self-advocating that somebody needs to be able to state when something is, they need a day off because they're ill. And with our population that we work with, kids with autism, a lot of them have a difficult time even acknowledging recognizing and then acknowledging that another person may even be able to help or that they should even know or that they don't already know if their theory of mind issues going on and so it may be that somebody has a really serious pain or illness and if you just text your boss that five minutes before your shift is supposed to start, you could have easily not gotten in trouble for that. <laughs> you know, the, um, it's like, how do you take a day off to take care of yourself? Or how do you schedule that vacation in advance? How do you share if an, a coworker is mistreating you? Um, who do you go to? It seems like in an employment situation that would be, it would have to be explicitly shared you know, probably in visuals, probably in writing at the very least, and uh, and taught f- over and over how, who you go to when, what you share, et cetera. So, yeah. like, I, I work with, um, there's a teenager that if you ask her, um, she's just started college, if you, but if in a classroom, if you ask her, um, how are you, she will tell you exactly how she is instead of just saying fine you know she'll and it's very normal for her when her mom or one of her therapists or something says how are you she will go into very specific detail that (laughs) peers in a classroom environment don't want to (laughs) know yes we we have lots of those types of conversations at dirt and being such a customer facing business and learning environment a lot of times we're having those custom or those conversations with our intern and the customer right there after um, you know the intern asks like really personal questions that you wouldn't <laughs> normally ask but um, after getting to know somebody really well you're having maybe those conversations with your coworkers, and so distinguishing okay who who's appropriate to ask those com- or ask those questions to and who's not and um, all of those kind of quote unquote gray areas that neurotypicals pick up on that need to be explicitly taught. Yeah. T- thinking about self advocacy, we see that a lot when there's somebody in our setting gets really overwhelmed or um, gets a bout of anxiety. And we typically notice that as employers 
through behavioral changes. And so telling them that it's okay to ask for a break. Let's look at what your body is telling you. And then it's perfectly okay to ask anybody, regardless of your work setting for a break. They may not say, yes, you could take a break right now. But step one is for you to recognize that and then to tell somebody and and advocate for yourself in that piece in the work setting. Yeah. Yeah. Because if if you don't take that time, it could escalate to something that is much more difficult to explain or justify. Exactly. You can prevent the outcome of an outburst on the job or something or, yeah. you know, whatever behavioral definition that would be. But yeah. Um, and, and when you were talking about the not charity, the uh, person that you started with, there's a lot of places that used to have employment opportunities and um, that are now gone because of some minimum wage laws that have gone into effect. And those things were like um, um, the ones that I've visited before that was like the label on envelopes or labels on magazines or stuffing envelopes. And somebody might get paid piecemeal, but that total amount was under minimum wage. And therefore that position likely does not exist anymore. And also a lot of states, the minimum wage is increasing to a point where it's not, you know, if they did go up to minimum wage, it now is a higher number. Um, and so there's, there is still a lot of volunteer programs. There's a lot of day programs that people may learn some activities of things like time management and things, but not paid experiences. Um, there are unpaid internships. How do you, personally with DIRT, how do you manage that um, difference in your own mission and Im- implementing the the bus- business plan that you have, how do you handle that? And how do you suggest to other employers to not just give a charity position, but to actually grow and develop a coworker? Yeah. So I think DIRT has been successful because this is something we knew we wanted to do since day one. So we Mm -hmm. structured um, our the cost of goods and the pricing of our products and all of that based on what we knew we wanted to pay the individuals who we employ. And so I think when a business is starting any entrepreneur out there who has a business idea, um, whether or not it's a social enterprise or not, if you're starting a business, make sure you're thinking about who you are going to employ. And I would encourage you to include people with disabilities in that. Um, We know that a quarter of our population identifies as being disabled. And so when you're not initially thinking about people with disabilities from day one, not only are you missing out on being able to sell your product to a quarter of the um, U.S. population, but you're missing out on an excellent workforce, a workforce who since day one, um, likely or whenever they um, were diagnosed with a disability, have overcome challenges that people without disabilities will never be able to understand. And that's a huge asset for any, for any team. Yeah. Um, And so I think 
if you're, if you're not in a position where you can kind of start from scratch and rework your numbers and things like that, start looking at everybody who you employ and all of the tasks that they do and think about um, what tasks could be taken off of somebody's plate who maybe it doesn't meet their skill set and then create a position. So um, we were talking earlier about job carving, create a position that would make sense for somebody who might be on the spectrum. So something that might be repetitive or, um, or really detail-oriented or really structured and doesn't have a lot of variety in what the task is. I mean, that's perfect for a lot of people on the spectrum. And I want to make sure we're not overgeneralizing um, because we run into a lot of issues with that too. But um, if, you're not, if you're not employing people with disabilities, you're missing out on an excellent workforce. Yeah, at 25% of the population... Um, I'm sure that there's a lot of people who start a job and didn't disclose um, a disability as well or a learning difference or whatever. If they're self-identifying, there's a lot of hidden um, disabilities. And so if if there's an assumption at the beginning that all the people that are going to work for you are physically capable to do everything and neurotypical, then you're already wrong. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, just looking at, you know, your um, your ads on Indeed or wherever you recruit and looking at that and making sure that you're not already, that that description is not already counting out a quarter of the population, um, maybe not requiring everybody to have to lift 30 pounds. I mean, so many job ads say that. Yeah. Like, I've... <laughs> I have rarely been required to lift 30 pounds. Right. I mean, in my work, that's, that's not accurate. But, um, but most- still, in most, yeah, if there's an administrative position or, you know, a driving position or there's so many of them do say that you need to be able to stand on your feet for eight hours. I'm like, you're not going to stand on your feet yeah. for eight hours. <laughs> Maybe in yours, you may have to because of, you know, actually working behind a counter but, um, but yeah, there's a lot that are just not accurate. And there are still even accommodations too. We um, hired somebody who was blind and put a stool in the back and, um, you know, added things like a Braille menu and just putting Braille stickers on our tap handles and things like that. And um, really working collaboratively with the employee. Um, if, if, the person with the disability, if the employee knows that you're willing to try and get it wrong and try again, then they're willing to show you everything and you're going to end up being a better business and a better employer in the long run. Right. Um, It's really, I think in the beginning when there was, um, you know, these piecemeal type programs, it was looked at like, hey, let's do something out of the good of our heart and let's get these people employed. And oh, here's something that we can easily take off of our plate and put onto somebody else. And we're doing a great thing. Um, But now I think we're realizing with the ever growing population of people with autism is that oh my gosh, they can bring so much more to the table than neurotypicals could ever bring. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And, and also there's a revenue bump because of your mission. You're a nonprofit coffee place. If there was a, a for-profit coffee place in your place next to each other, your line would be down the block because people just feel the vision and the mission that you have and want to contribute. And it's not, again, out of charity. It's because you're actually trying to improve our community. Absolutely. Yeah. Our, our prices are a little bit higher than your corporate drive through coffee place. But um, when people are kindly educated on the reasons why that, um, you know, hiring people with disabilities isn't a charity, it's a human rights issue. And this is what you're paying for. Um, you're paying for equality, you're paying for I mean, you're paying for justice, you're paying for equity, you're paying for all of these things. Um, and through you paying an, uh, for a latte, that's maybe 50 cents more than the drive-through. Your, t- your purchase is telling people with disabilities that they matter and that they deserve to be employed. Yeah. And that is why your line will be down the block because people recognize that. that And 50 cents is... You know, I mean, if you're already going to be buying the latte, then the 50 cents is (laughs) not that much more. Yeah, that's great. Um, There is, though, a lot of opportunity for um, somebody before finding gainful employment to do some job skills, internships or volunteer work or maybe like while they're in high school. um, There's there's a lot of people who need to be able to see what options there are and job shadow and just have that exposure to a lot of different places because they might actually find something that just thrills them, right? And so it doesn't have to be that somebody necessarily starts with gainful employment, but if that is the goal, then you can back into it by maybe doing some of these other things prior to that. Um, Do you see any really awesome programs or experiences or examples that, that people could try if if they have a relatively recently diagnosed kiddo or one that might be employed soon? Yeah, I think um, exposure is really key. So getting into programs that are community-based is really important. I think about my own job history and I didn't know what I wanted to do until I had the exposure and learned what I didn't want to do and then just kept working from there. Yeah. Yeah. And I know uh, Temple Grandin has a book called Different Not Less, and it's a series of stories of people who are gainfully employed. And they're interesting stories of how they got there. And it's similar to neurotypical people. You you get a job, you didn't like it. You get another job, you didn't like it. But there's something very difficult for somebody on the spectrum to do that self-advocating, keep going, have failure, continue, um, you know, to not give up. And it's, it's a hard world when there's discrimination. Uh, it's a hidden disorder. So if, if you don't have it tattooed on your forehead, people won't recognize that you have autism. And so how do they know to, you know, help you or explain something a second time or have patience? Right. I think, especially in the beginning, the earlier you can get started, the better. And it's such a, it needs to be a team and collaborative effort. Um, 
to explain, hey, this is why I'm here and this is what I'm looking for and this is how I operate, but I'm hoping that we can learn together and then making sure that a, a support team is involved to help jump in when when needed. Yeah, awesome. Well, we're going to be going to break. I wanted to um, come back and I just have a few statistics I wanted to share. And then I'm hoping that we can talk about what specific things parents, coaches, teachers, self-advocates can do um, to reduce these statistics because they're kind of sad. So we'll be right back. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now. 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Every Saturday morning, listen for the Superstar Sports Talk Block on Voice America Variety. We've got the best programs. If you want to talk football, hunting, outdoors, racing, and more, the weekends belong to sports. And you'll find it every Saturday beginning at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time. You'll hear from the players, owners, experts, and fans from around the world. It's the Saturday Superstar Sports Talk Block. Wow, that's a mouthful. And it's only on the Voice America Variety. Channel. Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all of our show archives on demand, all from your iOS, Amazon Kindle, or Android device. Download it from the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. You're listening to More Than Special with Jermaine Suford. To connect with Jermaine, or if you have a question or comment about the show, send your email to Jermaine at morethanspecial.org. That's G-E-R-M-A-I-N-E at morethanspecial.org. Now, back to the show. Hello, everyone. We're back here talking about um, education on the spectrum. Um, I'm, I have a few statistics I wanted to share. And this is um, Autism Speaks and um, there's another really great child mind. Uh, they have a lot of stats about adults. 
Um, so the first statistic is that 47% of adults live with a family member. And that just shares how dependent adults on the spectrum are. And that's just an autism diagnosis. That doesn't include all the other disabilities that we can generalize some of our information to. Another statistic about adults um, is that 9% live in a home that they purchased. And that, if, if that statistic was about any other subpopulation of, of our culture, we would be frustrated, maybe more than that. Um, and that social justice piece of, we would be upset about our own community, allowing 9% of people to that be an okay number. Um, you already shared the 25% of individuals identify as having a disability. And that is not just on the spectrum, but um, obviously, again, generalizing some of what we're sharing. Half of individuals two years after high school have had no paid job experience, technical school, or college. That's half of people who leave the education system and have zero opportunity to be independent. And another um, stat was that half a million people will be aging out of special education services in the next decade. And that's half a million people, like in the next decade, but there's a whole nother half a million right behind them. And the number of people receiving special education services is increasing year over year. Autism diagnoses are going up and up. So the number of eight-year-olds now that there are is significantly higher than the number of eight-year-olds there were before 10 years ago. And so if it's half a million people aging out in the next decade, it could be a million the decade after that. So this is a, a greater issue for those people, the 47% who are going to be living with a family member. That number is going to be massive as you compound the upcoming offloading, not offloading, but out graduating out of um, special education services into a workforce that is unprepared and needs to step up. Um, those are just, they're sad statistics. Those are human beings. Those are people who are at severe risk of homelessness. There's a lot of people who are in um, day treatment programs and, you know, a level below where they could be, but they don't have those advocating skills or they don't have the parent around anymore or the sibling who understands the system really well or somebody. And so it really is partially on the responsibility of the employer. Um, yeah. Do you have anything that you want to add to some of those stats, maybe stats that you have or yeah. reaction to those? I think the two that um, really hit home for me being an employer is that um, I, I we use the stat that 90% of people with autism are either unemployed or underemployed. And um, another one is that the unemployment rate of people with autism is three times more that than people with any other disability. So people with autism are way more unemployed and underemployed than any other disability, let alone people without a disability. Uh, it really is 
it really is an epidemic. And I think you hit on a good point in that um, unemployment isn't just a singular issue. It keeps people in poverty. Um, and when, when, what's going to happen when mom or dad are gone, if they had the resources to house their adult child with autism, um, so many people who are living without homes now on the streets are somewhere on the spectrum. Um, and then I think what is compounded in that is, isolation and feelings of unworthiness and which is, you know, attributes to depression and things like that. It's, it's really not a singular issue, which I think is so important for us to know as parents and siblings and service providers and community members that um, this is something that needs to be talked about on a more regular basis and a lot earlier than we're talking about it. Typically. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, one of the social sides of uh, being an adult on the spectrum is um, a statistic is that only 4% of adults with ASD are married. And so, like, when you think about your adult support system, it's usually a spouse or a significant other. Um, And if you look at somebody who's higher likelihood of not having a spouse, higher likelihood of not having employment, higher likelihood of just because of aging, their parents may not be capable. Um, Yeah, there's not a lot of opportunity unless that person does find employment and takes care of themselves. And so what are those things, you know, that what can a, let's say somebody came to you with a newly diagnosed kiddo like what kinds of things would you suggest to them to consider, think about implement quickly or in the short, short term, what would you recommend for them? I think, you know, looking at what we can start doing in the home to make them more employable or, and I feel like that's such a weird phrase when you're speaking about a child, but really that is what we're talking about. What skills can we start developing now in the home that will make them more successful adults in the future? So um, doing things like expecting chores to be done before they're earning whatever it is that they want to earn and start having those conversations about what it means to earn. And, you know, when you go to a store explaining I'm paying this with a $5 bill and this is all that we can get. And remember there's tax included and things like that. And having those conversations about money, um, having those conversations about time and those expectations that you're going to show up somewhere at the time that you said you're going to show up. Or if we don't, here's what we have to do. We have to call them and, um, and, and things like that, starting in the home and then looking too at, you know, the school, special education, so many of the goals that are chosen to be worked on in the school setting um, may not make sense in the long run for a lot of people on the spectrum. So making sure that we're using public education to teach the skills that will allow them to be more successful and more independent in the future, not the skills that will help them be more successful in the classroom, but what happens when they get out of the classroom? 
Yeah. Yeah. Maybe reducing um, expectation for that won't change their adult life and adding some of those social pieces, working on executive functioning. How do you self-advocate? How do you handle your sensory overload? Those will be lifelong skills. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause, cause not to dis academics, but you can learn academics after school. If you have, you you can get onto YouTube and learn all about chemistry and, you know, Yes, but you learning those other soft skills. Um, yeah. And there's, it, it takes a lot of uh, creativity as well. There has to be, you know, you might not have the curriculum or the, you know, expensive um, sensory classrooms where you, you may be teaching a kid, but you can use some creativity and think about what are the things that you do on a regular basis. How can you implement that into a classroom? Like if you're going to make a sandwich, maybe do it at school and do it with somebody and show them the entire process and like what goes back into the refrigerator and what stays on the counter and do you use a toaster and how do you stay, you know, those types of very life skills that if you're really worried about um, the academics, maybe add to academics life skills that can you can do both or um, just not ignore the life skills, I guess, because <laughs> you don't have the tools or curriculum. Exactly. And modifying it, like, um, you know, I don't know if this is happening still nowadays, but there ha- used to be so much focus on, like, handwriting and being able to write with a paper and pencil. And um, I – you know, I'm looking at my desk now and thinking about my work and how much I actually put paper to pencil and it's to sign something or to write a form. But nowadays, everything is done through the computer. And so let's learn how to write our name and fill out a date. And then let's focus on the computer skills. Yeah, yeah. Today's world. I mean, the past six months, everything has been (laughs) in front of a computer and being a service provider, you know, all of our therapists are now like, oh, yeah, we should be teaching how to sit in front of a computer and talk to somebody via a computer and things that we never even thought we would need to teach or that autism, a skill that they would need to have. But it's more evident now than ever. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And and the downloading of an app and how do you sign in and you forgot your password and then you have to go check your email and then you have to click on the link and all of those things that we just, we've been doing it for 15 years. We just keep doing it. Somebody who's new to the workforce, who's, who's maybe never had that, uh, they could be working on learning how to do those things at a relatively young age. You know, how to, there's a lot of chore tracking apps that I've seen um, that add points, you know, if you, if you do dishes, you get five points, but if you vacuum the whole house, you get 10 and then going out to get ice cream costs 15 points. And so you can do that even with a young kiddo who's neurotypical, but having it visual and on a device that somebody will later use in a work setting, um, just helps the future work setting to be able to accommodate for that person. I love that. And I think, you know, thinking about electronics, typically people on the spectrum are really drawn to that and have um, 
electronics part of their daily life from a really early age. And something that I always encourage parents to do is give the control of the electronics to the kiddo and teach them how to take care of their device, teach them that how to turn it off when it's time to turn it off and earn the time to turn it on. So, so often we see, you know, parents have to go do something. So they're handing an iPad and putting on a learning program. Um, But if they make that a collaborative process with their child, the child is learning so many skills that can be applied down the road. Yeah. Yeah. And absolutely, because we all have the ability to sit on Facebook all day long if we want to, but something in us gets us to stop and to change our attention and it's not an outside person. There's no outside person telling me I can't be on Facebook all day. Um, I mean, maybe if I actually tried it, somebody might try to intervene, but the, um, but there's something in me that says, I'm going to turn off this app and I'm going to open this other one. And I'm going to do just to change, even if it's still mindless kind of activities, learning that yourself is really impactful for the long term. And um, so then can you share some of the, creative solutions that you've had to um, implement or that you've seen other employers implement that are relatively easy. Um, like you, like you talked about just adding Braille, like that opens up a whole nother set of people that you can employ. What are some other creative things or common things that you uh, use to accommodate some of your staff? Yeah, I think um you know, it's so second nature now to us at DERP, but something that we incorporate from day one are um, lots of different tools to share how to do someone's a job. So we have it in written form, we have it in picture form, we have it in, you know, task checkoff form. And a lot of times those are it's not just a cut and dry. Somebody doesn't, we don't discover somebody works better with a checklist and then give them the checklist we created two years ago. Mm-hmm. We create, one, but we have a starting place and then we create one together with the individual that makes sense for them and their job. Um, those things take maybe 10 minutes tops and they automate the, the, the entire job and they make the employer a lot more independent in what they're expected to do rather than having that back and forth. Another thing that we come across a lot when it's time for, you know, an intern is graduating from their program and they're ready for to move into competitive, integrated, um, long-term employment is it's kind of a mental shift, the communication piece. And you mentioned this earlier um, with a student who, when you ask her how she's doing, she will tell it like it is. <laughs> yeah, something I, I val- one of my values is honesty and that's, and also sarcasm. And so that's why I've structured my entire life where I get to hang out with people who communicate um, and joke around in the same language I do. But oftentimes that's looked upon in a, in a traditional employment setting as rude or short or, you know, not having those, how's your day? I'm good. Thanks. How's your day? Um, those little nuances. And so um, I had a conversation with one of our employers and his biggest takeaway that he recognized a little more immediately, but his 
neurotypical team is struggling with is um, the communication styles that we as neurotypicals would label as rude. And he was like, you know what? At first I was feeling uncomfortable and we were sharing, you know, communicate in the same style that they're communicating with you. Um, And so be short and sweet. Don't expect them to engage and like talk about how their weekend was and things like that. If they're not interested in that. And he was like, well, I just feel like I'm being rude. And I was like, well, that's your issue. It's not their issue. (laughs) Right. Um, So making sure that your team is aware that, um, that, communication can look differently and there's not this undertone of like interpersonal discrepancies happening. And right. we do that. Yeah. We, or part of our mission is to ask our customers to think about customer service differently. Um, and we have, I mean, if you look at, you know, Google or Facebook or Yelp, you'll see a couple of bad reviews and most of it is because they experience, and I'm using air quotes, bad customer service, but yeah. was it bad customer service or were you just not used to the type of service that you got or the communication style you got? And the more people have exposure to that, the more that they realize it's not rude and it's not bad, it's different and different's okay. Yeah. And, and that is a really good point that Kids who have a disability are trained how to interact in the neurotypical world or even physical disabilities. People with disabilities seem to have to accommodate their entire everything, their communication strategy, their sensory everything, everything to the neurotypical world and the able-bodied world. And maybe there should be some of the reverse happen where the neurotypicals learn how to communicate with people who are different and somebody who's able-bodied understand that not everybody can do whatever it is that they can do. And that compassion and understanding will allow for some of those small issues of the conversation that kind of didn't go the way that you thought it was going to go at the checkout counter um, to not be issues and Instead to be like, oh, that is my own stuff that's coming up that I, I didn't know that with my coffee, I also expected a social engagement with my, um, you know, preparer and, oh, well, maybe I should go work on that my own self some other way instead of right here, instead of demanding it from um, checking out at a coffee shop. But right. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, uh, self-advocates that really make that big point that they have constantly had to learn how to live in our environment. And um, that social justice piece, that bigger picture that uh, these people that we're talking about, they're people and they deserve, you know, everything that everyone else deserves, including uh, gainful employment. And that can be done in some creative ways. Um, You know, like if there is uh, that job carving opportunity, if you have three people or four people working somewhere at a, a, you know, an entrepreneur has their small, there's obviously going to be things that they can take away from two or three of those people that they could make the perfect job for somebody. And that creativity of sitting down with the job descriptions and looking at what are some of those tasks that are repetitive or easily trained, or you can make videos 
like Google, you know, I, I do videos all the time for my staff. I'll just make a quick video and then, and then send it off to the staff member and they can rewatch it if they need to. And it doesn't take me any more time than showing it one time. I can make those visuals and checklists. They would probably help me as a business owner to um, structure and be more effective in, you know, anyway. And so, some of those things just seem like more common sense than just charity work for the kid down the street who's unemployed. But, Absolutely. and I do want to implore as many employers as possible. Um, can you explain some of those advertising pieces? I, I know we only have a few minutes left, but how could somebody advertise and uh, start that process of meeting some people? Um, what, what could they do in the very beginning of advertising? I think a really good place to start is looking at your job ads and removing all of the barriers that, um, I mean, I, I was even doing this as an employer with this mission, but including things like um, must have a high school diploma or must have a college degree or must have experience and really thinking about the position and thinking, is this really required? And a lot of times when you're asking yourself that, the answer is no. So removing those things and really simplifying it so that um, you're getting a much larger pool of applicants and a more diverse pool of applicants. Right. So so maybe for, let's just say, a, a receptionist position, they don't necessarily need to have a two-year degree. They do need to be able to do these tasks and be social-facing. And are those things things that they come with or things that you can support or accommodate um, instead of making it so that they have to lift 30 pounds and have a two-year degree and um, have six years of experience, whatever the things are. Yeah, there might be somebody who just comes out of um, high school and actually has a lot of skill sets in computer technology. Like, I mean, they're they're teaching coding at um, so many schools and it's online. You know, kids are coming into the workforce actually with quite a bit of skill sets that that would help an entry-level position at a company that's been maybe even stale for a while when it comes to their technology. Absolutely. Yeah. Adding to that, you know, thinking about training and adding in there that training um, will be provided is really important too. Yeah, that's great. Well, I highly recommend to our listeners to check out the Autism Speaks website. They have a really comprehensive employer guide and it's gives a lot of information about how to do some of these accommodations and it's so broad but then it also has specifics so that may be of help to any future employers Um, but there's also there's workforce curriculums for high schools there's um, there's a whole ton of resources that when you start looking you'll find um but I want to thank you very much for joining today. And I know that there's obviously more. Um, I, where would people find you if they were, wanted to ask you any questions? Sure. Um, any social media, you can search Dirt Coffee. Um, I'm on LinkedIn um, or our websites too, or contact us form, just dirtcoffee.org. Perfect. Perfect. Well, great. Uh, then 
Thank you, all you listeners. Um, please give us a five-star review wherever you're listening from. Feel free to email me with any topics that you want to have brought up on our show in the future and visit our website for resources. And we'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you for listening to More Than Special. Be sure to tune in again for another program featuring your host, Jermaine Sufert, next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Thanks again for being a part of the show. 